Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, April fourteenth episode of Poets and Muses. We chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Instagram, as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses, and you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of our SoundCloud Poets and Muses page. Today, our poet guest is Jay Tatum. She brought with her the poem "I Don't See Color." We will be discussing that along with my poem "No Connections." Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over all the poetry events taking place in the valley during the week of April 15th. The Arizona State Poetry Society's 2019 annual contests are now open. For entry until September 30th, there are ten categories, including one for young poets between 13 and 18. You can find more information about the contest at azpoetry.webs.com. Again, that's azpoetry.webs.com. On Monday, April 15th, from 7 to 9:30 p.m., Savannah Lutman. And Phoenix Firebird Events will be hosting its weekly the Firebird Open Mic at Third Space, which is at 1028 Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic is between 5 and 7 p.m. On Tuesday, April 16th, from 6 to 8, Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop at the Chandler Community Center. At 125 East Commonwealth Avenue in Chandler, from 7 to 8:30 p.m. for this month only, OME and Film Park Phoenix will be hosting its improvised poetry orchestra at the Film Park Phoenix at 815 North Second Street in Phoenix. Normally, this event takes place on the first Tuesday of the month. From 7 to 10 p.m., Richard Nihill will be hosting his weekly "I Am Hologram" open mic at Irene's Tap Room, which is at 1227 East Northern Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 6:30 p.m. From 8 to 11 p.m., Ken Kong will be hosting his weekly "The Underground Experience" at 2601 on Central. Which is at 2601 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7:30. On Wednesday, April 17th, from 6 to 8 p.m., Warren Drexler of Gen Society will be hosting his Writers Workshop at KE Learning Lab, which is at 126 West Main Street in Mesa. From 7 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing. The Literary and Prologue Society and Superstition Review will be hosting a poetry reading with Naomi Shihab Nye at the Phoenix Art Museum, which is at 1625 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. From 8 to 11 p.m., Poetic Soul Phoenix will be having its weekly open mic at Club Downtown, which is at 702 North Central Avenue in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. 
Wednesday is also the last day to sign up for the Saturday, April 20th, Pocket to Me at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore. And you can sign up by emailing info at palabrasbookstore.com. That's info at P-A-L-A-B-R-A-S bookstore.com. On Thursday, April 18th, from 7 to 9 p.m., Long Known Publishing will be having its weekly Phoenix Poetry Slam at the Lost Leaf, which is at 914 North 5th Street in Phoenix. Make sure to get there by 6.50 in order to get on the mic. From 7.30 to 9 p.m., District 4 Poetry will be hosting its monthly poetry open mic at Jared's Coffee, Tea, and Gallery at 154 West Main Street in Mesa. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7 p.m. From 8 to 11 p.m., Quinton Oni will be hosting his weekly open mic at Jobat Coffee and Bar at 333 East Roosevelt Street in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30. On Friday, April 19th, from 7 to 11 p.m., Cleopatra will be hosting her monthly organic poetry at the Unexpected Gallery, which is at 734 West Polk Street in Phoenix. From 8 to 11 p.m., Matoski and Speaking Into Existence will be hosting his monthly Smoke It Into Existence open mic at Just Blaze Smoke Shop, which is at 1001 East Camelback Road in Phoenix. Signing up to get on the mic starts at 7.30 p.m. On Saturday, April 20th, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting its poetry workshop called Seven Ways to Disrupt Your Poetry with Therese Svoboda, which will be taking place at Piper Writer's House at 450 East Tyler Mall in Tempe. Information about the workshop can be found at piper.asu.edu forward slash classes. From 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m., the East Valley Poets will be hosting its monthly short program and open reading at Tempe Pile Center, which is at 655 East Southern Avenue in Tempe. From 6 to 9 p.m., the monthly Pocket to Me open mic night will be taking place at Palabras Bilingual Bookstore, which is at 1738 East McDowell Road in Phoenix. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Jay Tatum. Hi, Jay. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> you brought us a poem today that you're going to read. Uh, before we do that, I would love to find out a little bit more about you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, so I'm 26 years old. I went to Arizona State University, got my bachelor's in communication. I do poetry, you know, for fun, but Mm -hmm. also just, you know, I want to kind of pursue that as a a full-time thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I just started writing in middle school, won a few competitions, and then that's when I decided to start taking it a little more seriously at that point. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. The poem you brought for us today is I Don't See Color. Mm -hmm. Would you like to read that for us? Yes, this is I Don't See Color. I hate a I don't see color 
motherfucker. But that's right. Because the hues can be too complex and too bright. Symbolism dripping from every color acts as a distraction. I get it. You just want to simplify it. Victim or villain? Protagonist or antagonist? Master or slave? Yeah, the hues can be too complex and too bright. So you, you just see black and white. In your opinion, which one is more righteous? You can be honest. Because look, if you don't see color, how did blue lives matter become a thing? Get it? Blue. Who's the antagonist if, if your hands are wrapped around my neck and I gasp, I can't breathe? If your name ain't Ray or Stevie, it's hard for me to believe that you don't see color. Because my skin is milk chocolate mixed with almond butter. And if you ain't blind, then baby, you lying. May 6, 2018, I had on my black dress shoes from Aldo, fitted ripped jeans, and a shirt that was olive green. I was on the curb waiting for my lift when I get attacked by two pigs, I mean cops. Swear I've never been that close to two vicious animals. They pushed me face down on the pavement, put my hands behind my back. Each one of them had one knee in my back, and all I could think was, hold on, I'm 5'3", 130, well, 135 pounds on an off week. Why are there two of them on top of me? Oh, because you don't see the color of my Arizona State University degree. You couldn't tell by the way that I stand that I'm an Army veteran, and you didn't know that my slate was squeaky clean with no priors. Subconsciously, you saw my skin was milk chocolate mixed with almond butter, but publicly, you're a I don't see color, motherfucker. So why take an oath before God if you don't believe in him? Seriously, it's a disgrace to say that you don't see all the beauty in this place, everything that he created, the green pastures, the blue oceans, and the auburn skies. You're telling me that when you open your eyes, you can't see any of it? Because if you can see that, then you can see this. And no, I'm not calling anyone racist, because I know we all have that one black friend. But stop using phrases like I don't see color to dismiss the fact that you have acted on learned behaviors. Because there's that notion that all black people are criminals, thugs, do drugs, or carry weapons. You don't have to pretend that you saw a bulge in my waistline. My clothes are way too fitted for you to ever mistake me carrying a 45 or a 9. I'm not saying don't do your job. Go ahead and stop and frisk. But let me go once you know that I'm not a risk. You don't have to unload your clip on me. Let's be honest, no matter how good you are or righteous you may be, some people only see the colors that they want to see. See, the hues may be too complex and too bright, so to dumb it down, some people choose to just see black and white. Thank you. Thank you. It was really tough hearing it and hearing it again. I've never been in the Army, but I can't imagine being someone who's willing to die for the country and doing your service and coming back and then have to face this sort of treatment. Besides the poem, what was going through your head when that happened? Truthfully, you see things on the news or, you know, social media. There's so many different hashtags and just situations that you're made aware of. Mm -hmm. But in the back of your head, just being a black person, I never thought that I would be in a situation like that. Mm. And so to be honest, when everything happened, it was kind of, it, it was shocking. I, I truly didn't know what to do. You know, the line in the poem, when I say I was pushed onto the pavement, um, hands behind my back, it happened literally in the blink of an eye. In one moment, I'm literally just standing on the curb. I'm waiting with two other friends mm -hmm. for one of them to call a lift because we already discussed one of them were calling a lift to get us back home. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm just in a state of, you know, it's 2 a.m. I'm tired. It's after the club. Where's our ride? Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, I'm literally just pushed from the side. So at the time, I don't even see who it was. 
And then my hands, you know, are behind my back. I'm on the ground. And then everybody else who's outside is like, Jay, don't say anything. Just be quiet. We're going to film the whole thing. Just don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm like, okay, cool. Like, there's there's cops. There's a whole crowd around me. No one knows what happened. I just know that I'm, I ended up on the ground. Right. So it was a lot of, like, adrenaline. I was shocked. And I, and I truly didn't know what was going on or mm-hmm. why it was going on, you mm-hmm. know? So Correct me if I'm wrong. In the Army, you, you're taught de-escalation techniques, right? Mm-hmm. If you were... I mean, this, this whole situation is, is kind of strange because there's nothing to de-escalate, at least, you know, from, from your recounting of what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were in their shoes, what would you have done? Truly, I can't say what I would have done because I don't know the truth behind what they, why they did what they did. Um, they never it came told out, you? yeah, it came out later that they said I was disobeying a lawful order and that there was a fight that broke out and I was trying to prevent them from breaking the fight up. And so I guess when they told me to stop, I disobeyed a lawful order and that's why all of that happened. But genuinely, none of that took place. There was no fight around me, and I have no business trying to break up a fight that, you know, I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. You know, if the cops are trying to break it up, I don't have any business trying to intervene between you doing your job to break up a fight and, and keep people safe, you know? Mm-hmm. So that whole piece didn't happen. I think that was just part of the police report for Fluff. Mm-hmm. I can't really say how I would have acted because I, I don't even know what prompted them to come over there and, and act in the manner that they did. So, mm-hmm. In a separate debate, that's more about gun debate, mm-hmm. you know, but also how to handle tense situations. I remember reading things that veterans who have had training, like you have mm-hmm. said, in terms of de-escalation. And, and in fact, what I'm remembering is a little bit of an exchange on social media I saw between, I think it was an ex-sheriff or, or deputy and veterans. And the veterans, and it was about the gun debate, so a little mm-hmm. bit different from this. I think it was after the parkland shootings. Mm-hmm. And basically, the sheriff was saying, basically, I'm going to have my guns packed and run in. Mm-hmm. Whereas the veterans were saying, well, no, actually, you do this situation, you have to de-escalate, you have to do, you know, there's a lot more strategy. So it's it almost seems like maybe the police departments of various parts in the U.S., should get some military training in terms of de-escalation, in well, terms of handling situations better. Yeah, and, and the crazy part is that the military training and the police training, as far as like weapons and everything like that, are very similar. Mm-hmm. And so you know that you're supposed to, if you feel threatened, you fire a warning shot. You don't shoot to kill or mm-hmm. maybe use some kind of force with your hands or maybe with a baton or something. You know, you don't always try to just hurt somebody, kill somebody. Like, those are forms of de-escalation if a situation was escalated, you know? Right. And you but, mentioned that in your other poem as well. You have the baton, you have, yeah. you have the... Um, tasers. Tasers, You know, yeah. just different ways that you can punish somebody, warn somebody, get control of somebody if you do feel threatened, if they are being violent, if, you, if it is a dangerous situation. There's so many things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I feel like in a lot of situations, those steps get skip mm-hmm. and it's yeah. unfortunate I, I didn't realize that the military and the police have very similar training because from that exchange that I read it felt like it was totally different mm-hmm. very different training very different mentality in how to approach tense situations let's step back and go back to the poem for, mm-hmm. for a bit how long after the incident <clears throat> did you write that poem this happened May 6th of 2018 wow. you know I was angry about it I truly felt like I had been involved in an injustice situation, Mm -hmm. but after everything was said and done, I kind of just left it alone, and I lived my life. I went to work. I worked out. I hung out with my friends. I'm just living 
a normal life. Mm-hmm. In October, in the mail, I get a letter saying that Jay Tatum versus the city of Scottsdale. So it's a whole court case now. They want to charge me for, what were the charges? It said obeying a lawful order and assaulting a police officer. And so I'm just like, that's crazy, you know? So after that, I know what happened. The people I was with know what happened. My family knows my character, so they know kind of what I would and wouldn't do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I was mad. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm 26 years old. I'm young. I'm black. I, you know, have a college degree. I did my six years in the Army. I've worked up until this point to kind of maintain a a good profile, a good reputation. I Mm -hmm. haven't been in trouble. I don't have any record or or anything like that. And Mm -hmm. and I've worked hard to do that, you know, to kind of stay on a a good path. And Mm -hmm. so at that point in October, when I got that letter, that's when I wrote the poem because I was mad. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just seeing me for, you try to put a different description no, they were young black and their pants were sagging and they sold drugs and they were a thug. Like, were they really? Or is that the depiction that you kind of want to paint mm-hmm. so that you look like you did the right thing? Mm-hmm. And so at that point, that's when all my little thoughts were whirling around. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to write what I feel and kind of put my spin on it. Mm-hmm. Is this case still going on? No. So I went to court multiple times. I want to say like three or four times. Mm-hmm. What came out of it was that I have to pay the court fees. Okay. And I had to go to anger management classes consecutively for five weeks for two hours at a time. And basically from that point in November, it was when the court case happened. From November to June 14th of 2019, mm-hmm. if I don't get in trouble, any like moving violations, speeding tickets, nothing. I can't have anything happen to me. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have anything happen... Then we're going to go to court on June 20th, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything is going to be dismissed. Oh, so they could vacate the charges? Yeah. If, okay. So and it's kind of a lot, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. it's for me, it was just emotional because I know who I am. I know what happened. I know what I would and wouldn't do. But when someone wants to paint you a certain way and they have the power to do so, mm-hmm. your hands are tied. Yeah. And did you get a chance to show the judge the video tape? I did. I showed the prosecutor. Mm. We kind of worked out a deal and they said, I'm going to look at the body cam footage because it hasn't even been ordered. This judge has created the sentence for you without even looking at the footage, just believing whatever was written in the police report. So I'm going to actually order the body cam footage. I'm going to look through it and then we're going to throw everything out if what you're saying adds up. Mm. So the second time I went to court, it was a whole different prosecutor that I was meeting with. And he was like, no, you know, I don't have time to do that. I don't care what Natalie said. I wasn't prepared to be looking at footage today, so we're not going to do that. And he didn't even give me a chance. I was kind of giving the runaround about it. Is there a link to the footage on social media? Oh, no, I didn't post anything. Mm. So it's not out, like, for me. I don't know if somewhere on, like, YouTube or something. I don't know. It must be so frustrating. I don't even know what to ask at this point because of the frustrations that you must have felt. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that? In the beginning, I was saying, if I was a veteran, I would feel pain. Is that something that you felt or was it something else? Yeah, because it's just so intense, you know, in the country right now. Not to say that it hasn't been intense before, Mm -hmm. but the racial tensions are very high, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, and with our leader, you know, the president and just... All kinds of stuff going on, the various murders between, I want to say like 2012 up until now, just my generation is seeing it and they're tweeting it and they're reposting it and they're hashtagging it. And so you're aware of it. People my age and younger, we're more aware than we've ever been. And so for me, it kind of was frustrating to think, you know, I know that this is happening. I never expected it to happen to me. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But then for me to kind of, like you said, be a veteran, I've served my country. I've 
put my life on the line. I knew that with signing up, there was a possibility that I could die for this, you mm-hmm. know, to so just kind of be treated like any old person, mm-hmm. you know, just like any black person, any thug, any outcast, or, right. and you don't even know me. The thing that made it even worse is I could see if I had a background, I was a veteran, but the night that all this happened, I was doing something wrong. You know, I was doing something mischievous. I was doing something that was criminal intent or I was in the act of breaking the law. And then all this happened. I would understand that, you know, mm-hmm. but for me to be yeah. standing on the curb, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm dressed nice. I'm in Scottsdale. I'm, I'm dressed nice. <laughs> yeah. And you still treat me like this. Mm-hmm. And then when you take my my wallet, you see the first thing that you see when you open my wallet is not my driver's license. It's my military ID, you know. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know who you're dealing with and you still don't stop. You know, so it's like you open it up to like, you know, get my identification, see, you know, who you're dealing with, process whatever you're going to process, put it in the system. And you still treat me like I'm just any old kind of person. Right, right. We should treat everybody with respect, right? Yeah, me too. And as you said, if you were doing something mischievous or or criminal, Mm -hmm. then obviously they should do their jobs. Right. And they should try to arrest you. Right. Um, But it sounds like they just attacked you Mm -hmm. rather than even try to address any situation. At all. The fact that you're a veteran adds another layer because then obviously they should have taken that into consideration not to say if you were doing something criminal, they should negate that, Mm -hmm. but to handle it with respect, handle Mm -hmm. everybody with respect. Also understanding that what you must have gone through, what you must have faced. Speaking of which, do you mind if I ask you if you were deployed? Yeah, so I never actually did get deployed during mm-hmm. my six years. All of my um, service was stateside, so yeah, I was lucky good. in that yeah. aspect. Yeah. Going back to kind of what you were saying, I think a big issue is that we have these predetermined notions of black people are like this, white people are like that, Asian people are like this, whatever you think. All mm-hmm. black people are thugs, all white people are snotty, all Asian people are smart. You know, like whatever <laughs> the stereotype is, yes. if you were taught that, you think that. Yeah. And, and the crazy part is that you have to realize, you know, there's good people in every race or in, in every field of professionalism that mm-hmm, you're in. Mm-hmm. There's bad people in every race and there's bad people in every field of professionalism. When we hear news stories and, you know, this doctor, he performed malpractice and he wasn't doing his job. Does that mean all doctors are bad? Right. No. But there are going to be some people who do get their license mm-hmm. and they are not going to do the right thing with it. You know, mm-hmm, exactly. there are going to be some, you know, black people who do bad things, but there's going to be some that do great things, you know? And so it's like, you have to treat people on a person to person basis. But I think our hate and our anger and the way that we mistreat people, it comes from these predetermined notions that we already have in our mind about people before we even give them a chance. Yeah, exactly. And that's the frustration because you know what you've been through in life and putting the military service aside, you've been on the straight and narrow and to be treated as if you're just some thug Mm-hmm. Just because it's Scottsdale at two in the morning. Yeah, no. <laughs> apparently that's that's curfew for black people. I guess. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, so it, it must be very frustrating. Aside from that, I wanted to go back to the poem a bit more because you don't just talk about this experience. Mm-hmm. In fact, you almost mention it as a peripheral. I found that to be really interesting in the poem itself, mm-hmm. and you talked about. A number of things such as the token black friend Mm -hmm. the tokenism which in itself is very insidious because people who have token friends kind of pat themselves on the back yeah it's like how could I be racist you know I'm I'm cool with this person and you insert somebody you know black in their name right right it's crazy you know because that doesn't exclude you from possibly being racist or possibly acting on learned behaviors we all learn different behaviors when we're younger yeah you having a black friend you could still make you know racist comments 
racist jokes, you can still do things that are very offensive. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you mean it, maybe you don't, but, right. you know, it's a learned behavior. Right. And so just yeah. because you have a black friend doesn't mean that you're exempt from those things. Exactly. <clears throat> That's true with the shooter who, around the same time that uh, Tree of Life Synagogue mass shooting happened, mm-hmm. there were, like, two, three things happening. One was this shooter who went to a black church. I think it was an AME church. Mm-hmm. And he tried the doors. And thank goodness it was locked. Otherwise, it would have been another mass shooting in, right. in a place of worship. And he was married to a black woman. And people usually use that as some kind of excuse for, oh, yeah, you know, like, I, I've been intimate with person of another race, therefore I can't possibly have stereotypes about that person of that race, which is not right. true. You can be intimate, you can marry someone, you can love that person, but you can still have stereotypes about the group that they, that belong, they belong to. to. Right, yeah. so that's kind of like the flip side of what we discussed earlier. You have to treat people on a person-to-person basis, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't want to group everybody together. Mm-hmm. But in the same instance, just because I like you, if I was racist, like if I like you, doesn't mean that I'm going to be cool with the group that you belong to. Because haven't you heard phrases, I don't know if you have or not, but I've heard phrases like, oh, Jay, you're different than everybody else. You know, (laughs) like, oh, I'm different from every black person. So you're cool with me and my blackness. And and we built a bond and we have like a sort of a friendship. So Mm -hmm. you're cool with me. But that doesn't mean that you will be cool with my family members, my other friends outside of here, whoever I'm intimate with. That doesn't mean that you accept them. You're just saying that because I'm different, you accept me. Right. You know? It's not like they tried every black person. You know, it's like, how do you know that Jay is different? I mean, Jay is different in terms of you are unique as a person. Right. But you are also different from whoever this person is saying that Mm -hmm. particular thing. So it makes no sense. Yeah, so... and it's just kind of interesting, kind of you bringing that up. He shot up a church, but he's married to someone black. And it's like, yeah, you might accept that one person mm-hmm. still having issues accepting the whole group. Right, you right. Know? The other thing is that some people could, maybe not in his case, they could have a black friend, a mm-hmm. black friend, or mm-hmm. grew up knowing a black family, for instance, and mm-hmm. then they use that as the stereotype. That's mm-hmm. their personal stereotype. And then they think every black person is either good or bad or whatever their experience based that on one this experience. one experience or the limited experience mm-hmm. they had. Right. And America being as segregated as mm-hmm. it is, continues to be there are communities where they don't necessarily interact with each other we we can live our whole lives without interacting really with other races in a meaningful manner exactly and were you if you don't mind my asking you say you were stationed in japan right were you so yes so i have a military family Mm -hmm. so my dad was in the air force so when i was stationed in in japan it wasn't you know my service it was my dad's service Okay. okay so yeah we we got moved over there as a family. So you must have experienced also racism from that perspective as well, because I understand there's a lot of tension. Yeah, because of with the Americans. Yeah. yeah, for me, because my time there, I was on a military base, and mm-hmm. so like I went to school on the military base. We went to church on the base. So we were around other military families who essentially were American. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go off base. It is hit or miss, you know, because mm-hmm. there's touristy things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're shopping, just anything that you want to do outside of the military base, you know, right. so you're engulfing yourself into the, the culture. Nine times out of ten, it was a good experience, mm-hmm. you know, because they're so used to it. If you're in Okinawa mm-hmm. and you're by, what is it, an Air Force base, a Marine base, a Naval base, you're used to seeing Americans mm-hmm. and interacting. Mm-hmm. You're used to them coming to your store, to your restaurant and stuff, so it's fine. But it just depends on, on where you are. I don't know if Big Island is like that. Mm-hmm. 
because wherever there's not a lot of Americans, I don't know how they would treat Americans because they, they don't have to interact with them on a daily basis. Right. But where I was at, I truly can say that it wasn't as much tension because they were used to seeing us, and we were probably That's their good. biggest you know, clientele. Right, right. You know? That's really good. Yeah, because I've heard about the, from both sides, mm -hmm. partly is that the American military does shield their personnel sometimes mm -hmm. from prosecution when things like rape and murder happen. Mm -hmm. and that brings about tension and then there's oh because when you were saying it I was following you but mm -hmm. I was thinking something else so you're saying like no, no, no. when the military you know in those countries when they're doing something to for instance in Japan a military person was like to rape a Japanese girl or something like that yeah. they shield the military shields their personnel yeah you know what you're saying? okay yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one, one of the reasons for the tension, but obviously from being a more homogenous society as well, mm -hmm. I've read and I've heard about Japanese society having this kind of pejorative view of especially people of African descent. Mm -hmm. The latest, was it the Wimbledon? Was it Wimbledon winner? One of the Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. And one of her sponsors depicted her as white mm. or light skin, mm -hmm. even though she's half black. Mm -hmm. So, and I think one of their, I don't remember if it was Miss Universe entrance, is also half black. And I've read uh, a journalist who lives in Japan who is married to a Japanese woman who also experienced racism. So that's a separate thing from the military thing where mm -hmm. sometimes the Japanese feel enraged because it's sort of colonialistic what happened to Japan mm -hmm. and the fact that America continues to have a base there and mm -hmm. continues to kind of leverage that in some ways to treat the local population maybe unjustly, especially when major crimes like rape and murder happen. So you can understand the tension. Yeah. Since you lived there, I kind of wanted to get your take on it. Yeah, so, because originally that's what I thought you were talking about, like the tension as far as like Pearl Harbor and just Americans in general as far as interactions with the local Japanese people. But I didn't even think about that as far as like the rape or mistreatment of the locals there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the military, they can, you know, cover things up or make things go away depending on how important you are, how high ranking you are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. That happens all the time. It would not just even military, but in sports or whoever you are. Right, you have right. that high power, that rank, that popularity that you need. Yeah, you can make things go away. It happens throughout various areas of life, right. and it's really frustrating. On my way here, it happened that the news was talking about R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. So that's, as you said, somebody who's a celebrity who's been covered for years. Whereas you make it go away. You know, yeah, if you have the money to do so, or you, you know, have this leverage over people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're promising them fame, or you're promising them their dreams, right. you can make the negative stuff about you go away. Right, right. Whereas if we had shined such a big spotlight on him earlier, he could have gotten the help he needed, and so many victims could have avoided the same fate. Right, that treatment, yeah. Yeah, so it's really frustrating. I didn't mean to put you on the spot no, to no, talk about the military, because I respect mm -hmm. the fact that the military, there are so many people who are willing to die for the principles of this country. Yeah. I really respect that at yeah. the same time. The system itself needs to be looked at, and there are things like assault within the military. Right, and that's kind of what we were saying earlier about just different industries. You know, there's good doctors, bad doctors, whatever arena you're in, and so the, the military is not exempt from that. You know, no, there's yeah. there's good practices and there's bad practices. Yeah. You know, just 
as far as what you discussed, as far as making things go away and not being punished for the crimes that you commit as far as like rape or, or something like that. But, you know, just also assault within the military, between military members, sexism. Yeah. Um, that's still a huge thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very yeah. unfortunate. It's not 50%. Yeah, it hasn't reached 50%. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near that, right? No. Yeah. When I read about the military sexual assaults within the military yeah. against each other, <clears throat> members, I feel almost as if uh, you've heard about in wars, you know, in conflicts now happening, rape is used as a weapon to intimidate, to drive out people. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like in the military it, system itself, perhaps that is being used as that, maybe not on a conscious level, but to say, no, you don't belong to it. I almost feel like that is happening. But it's really interesting to just pull out all these elements that there's a lot of repeated domination of the marginalized or, or the minority groups mm-hmm. within each system. Right, because at the end of the day, people are people. And so mm-hmm. if you're a sick person, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You're a sick person as a lawyer. You know, right, if you're right, exactly. you know, a dentist, whatever you do, there's sick people or there's people who just have this superior complex. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and so unfortunately, that does happen in the military a lot. Mm-hmm. They pull rank. And so you coming in as the E1, you have no rank. Mm-hmm. You want to get promoted. You want it to happen fastly. You know, you want to do 20 years and retire. And you have these dreams that, mm-hmm. that you come into the service with. And you, know, you meet somebody who is a sergeant. You feel like you have to do what they say mm-hmm. because that's your direct leader. They have dominance right. over you or right. whatever. And so now you're not just following military commands. You're following personal right, right, right. You know, commands because you're in a conflict. What do I do? There's not a lot of women in the military. We're the minority. This is my leader giving me these direct commands. Mm-hmm. So do I disobey my... Mm-hmm. There's just always, whatever field you're in, there's always that. Yeah, there definitely is. With what you just brought up, the situation, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the military is, because of this strict structure, mm-hmm. you know, you have to follow command. Because in a war situation, in a war zone, in a dangerous situation, if you don't follow command, mm-hmm. if that command is questioned... That split second means life or death. Right. So it's very necessary to have that structure. At the same time, when there are predators that's allowed in and the system doesn't have a good regulatory way of getting rid of those characters, then the strict structure actually makes it even easier for them to prey on those who are lower in demand. No, absolutely. Because kind of like at any job, you have your like direct supervisor and then Mm -hmm. you have their boss and then you know and so if you have an issue you're going to the the next person on the totem pole right but you're not just skipping your supervisor who's abusing you and going straight to the ceo you know because nine times out of ten can you even are you even in contact with ceo so who do you tell you know right so it's situations like that and like you said if there's not a good exit strategy for these predators they're going to keep praying yeah, exactly. With the situation of a civilian situation is that you can go elsewhere, whereas the military right. is very self-contained, right? And then there's military court. It's all within the system. Right. Although, certainly, we, I, I feel like I don't want to have this podcast about, you know, we're not examining <laughs> right, right, right. the military. <laughs> right. And I don't want to put you on the spot about that as well. Yeah. But it was just interesting to kind of go into a tangent about that because you've had that experience and you come from a military family, so you've seen it multi-generationally. Right. But going back to your poem again, I have wanted to ask you also, because you had talked about some of the other things in your other poem where 
you also talk about this dichotomy, this where it's either black or white. There's no no individual treatment for individuals, mm-hmm. really. Since what happened happened, since you've written these poems, mm-hmm. besides the one you you read today, but uh, the other one that I heard from you. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything in terms of, in your capacity to help to solve some of these issues? It's a large issue, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. Outside of local rallies or mm-hmm. when we meet at the state capitol and we gather. No, protests. there there has not, yeah. yeah, there has not been much that I'm doing. But still, you're it's, going to the protest. That's something already because protest is about numbers <clears throat> and having one more person who's had that personal experience is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and truly, I think writing about it, performing it, and creating that open dialogue, you know, the more people that are aware mm-hmm. of things, the more people you can get on board to kind of go with your mission, you know, mm-hmm. that you're yeah. trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so that's truly that's truly what I do. That's why I write these topics that I talk to kind of get people talking, to kind of open the dialogue mm-hmm. and kind of kind of put it out there. Because like mm-hmm. I said, you, know, you see this stuff on TV, on the news, on Twitter. It's a hashtag, but it's somebody that you don't even know. Right. Someone that you've right. never come across, you don't know their family or anything, right. but to know that it's happening here in our backyard, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes away from your house, mm-hmm. that puts a whole new perspective on it. Right. You know, because right. truly at that point you realize, oh, this can happen to anybody. Right. No one is exempt from injustice. No one is exempt from unfair treatment. It can yeah. truly happen to anybody. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really important to know that, and also it's great that you're doing something about it, not only in your writing, but also joining protests, making your voice heard. Have you been able to read this to any of the police, not necessarily the police that you had to deal with, Mm -hmm. but maybe some of the police departments, or have you had that interaction to be able to express what you have to say here? No, I've never to any police, never at any of the court cases or anything like that. Mm. Would you like to if you had the chance to? I don't even know if I would necessarily read this poem, mm. but to create that open dialogue, yeah, I think that's very necessary. Right. Just because you can't just continue to, to do bad and not get caught. How they say, mm. you know, what, what's done in the dark will come to the light. The people who are serving, like I said, there's there's some good cops, there's going to be some bad cops. Yeah. So yeah. You, you being a good person, you might not even know that there's a bad apple in your tree. Yeah. But to know, oh, shoot, this happened with the Scottsdale Police Department. I'm a part of that police department. Who were you attacked by? Just opening that dialogue and raising those red flags, Mm -hmm. that would be good. Yeah, it would be great if there was a dialogue that you could have this conversation and be honest about it rather than pointing fingers to Mm -hmm. each other and get it out and talk through it and see if there's anything that could be done in terms of treating each other better. Because Mm -hmm. cops are not cops 24-7. Right. They have families. They have hobbies that they like to do, pastimes that they enjoy. They're people. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's not about anybody hating somebody or, you know, I was attacked by cops and I hate all cops. Like, it would never be that. That's never going to bring any solution. No. But just realizing people are people outside of their uniforms. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we got to understand a person's character and a person's heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you see my skin when I got tattoos and you can make any assumption that you want. Right. But until you know my character and until you know my heart, you don't truly know me. But right. if you did, maybe you can make a better decision before attacking. Or for me, I knew, okay, this person has, you know, three kids. They go to the movies on the weekend. They play the guitar on the side, you know, just in their pastime. They enjoy mm-hmm. music. That makes you look at them in a different light, too. Right. So that right. we're not all just walking around judging each other and hating each other without truly knowing anything about each other. Right, right, you know? exactly, exactly. I wish they would have at least talked with you before any of the physical stuff yeah. uh, happened. I think it, it would have been nice, right, to have 
gotten a chance to at least talk it out. So I had chosen my poem based off of your poem partly because I touch on、uh, military service. I didn't know that you come from a military family,、mm-hmm. but my poem touches on representation,、mm-hmm. but also military in terms of why people were joining the military because we're not a conscription military; we're a voluntary military,、mm-hmm. and some of the systems that make it so that certain people feel compelled—you don't have any other options but、yeah. to join the military. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm going to read that now. Gotcha. It's called No Connections. I watch Chinatown to see white people, Shun Li to hear Italian, Nikki for Ching Chong rhymes, Macamore for appropriation. High school can't seem to get out of high school. Bickering over jealousy, threatening life to feed paparazzi. How else do we keep the populace distracted to rob them of real education? Opium nowadays comes in multimedia technicolor. Lotto winners inspire gamblers. Multi-million contracts dangle, so fuck the multiplication table. What's the probability for improbability? Who cares when profits minuscule, tax-free benefit education? If all else fails, there's always the military. Body bags are lonely going unfilled. University is the promised land. If you return from a foreign land, PTSD. The VA would take care of you. The backlog is only half a mil. One people screws over another. As long as we keep up the hate, confusion bonds us more than history or DNA. Let's see who can shout the loudest and who can dip the lowest. Decency gets no press. I've got to grab me five seconds to impress. The entertainment industry deals with influencing fluency. Set hierarchies, dark to light, skin, eye, then hair color. Someone really likes their Aryans. Did you know that California was is really into eugenics? Though colonialism lost its popularity, cultural hegemony nevertheless retains its seniority. Spreading through the network of global distribution channels feebles the mind while enabling messages. No need to go subliminal. We'll swallow propaganda whole if you'll just make our world seem less of a hellhole. And we'll forget who sold the missiles that confetti our ancient cities, like your citizenry, who blames gangs instead of mown-down politicians, pockmarked by kisses of gold before landing in pockets. Forget these connections between age-old vices and our regressing society. Let's go to the cinema and grab some subsidized corn popped laced with healthy butter flavoring. I want me a front row seat to the next picture show of blonde, blue-eyed heroes and a lucky token or two raising a metropolis's pulverizing aliens. No link there to real politics. <laughs> I don't know if you had a chance to read that. I did, yeah. If you had any questions for me, well, what was the premise that kind of brought that poem about? It wasn't any one particular incident. I, yeah, I don't think it was a particular incident that brought it about, but many things. I had just watched the movie Chinatown, which I、mm. never seen, and ironically, the name Chinatown would make you think that there were more Asian characters. There was、mm-hmm. one who was the 
or Gardner or, or basically Butler. I, I can't remember one of those guys, but you saw very few Asians despite, I mean, Chinatown was basically a reference. I kind of get it, but for me, watching that and seeing how little representation there was, mm-hmm. and I think I saw it this year, and I forget if I saw it before or after Crazy Rich Asians came out, and mm-hmm. knowing that it had been so long since there had been a major movie where most of the characters who play the Asian. It's just a frustration. Also, talking about the intersectionality of racism to see Mickey Minaj using an Asian stereotype in mm. her Chun-Li rap it was really frustrating as well. I'm mm. just like, lady, yeah. we got enough problems, you know? Right. I'm not one of those people who said, okay, you're a minority, therefore you have to be held to a higher standard, therefore you cannot be prejudiced against other minorities. I'm like you, you know, we're just people mm-hmm. and we're subject to all kinds of prejudices, bigotries, and mm-hmm. whatever we grew up with, whatever we were taught. So there is ignorance, but seeing somebody who's so popular mm-hmm. perpetuate that stereotype was frustrating. And just thinking about media in general, I love the Marvel movies, I'm mm-hmm. a huge geek, so I love those summer blockbusters, and I'm looking forward to the new X-Men. Right. But to see that in even those hero movies, there is a narrative that perpetuates the idea that your heroes have to be certain color. Mm-hmm. Even within the various white characters, mm-hmm. there is a hierarchy. I feel like more so over the last maybe 20 years, you see more of that perhaps. Maybe I need to go back and do more research on my film anthology or something. Mm -hmm. That the hero, the one who comes out on top, tends to be blonde, blue eyes. It's very, very eugenic ideal of blonde, blue-eyed people being the top of the food chain, as mm-hmm. it were. And then dark-haired men, mm-hmm. then dark-haired women, blonde women, dark-haired men, dark-haired women, and then you go into maybe, forget Asians, you know, that you don't even see Asians. I have a beef with crazy rich Asians because it takes place outside of America. It really bothers me because it still creates this idea that Asians do not belong in America. Even mm. though the main character, one of the main characters, is American. Gotcha, you know? yeah. And that thing really bothers me that she basically gets whisked off and everything supposedly happens in Singapore. And for that reason, I prefer something like Joy Luck Club. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's a great movie, mm-hmm. but it's like 20 years old. And it talks about how Asian Americans deal with the legacies that they have to deal with in terms of their parents from the old country and then what it's like to be immigrant or to be first generation, second generation who were born here to have to live with that legacy. Mm -hmm. So all of these things made me think about it. And then, of course, going back to why people go into the entertainment industry and entertainment includes sports, obviously not the military. I kind of threw in the military because it's very similar, right? Because especially minority groups are forced in some way to go into certain industries because the new stereotype is that they can only do certain things. Mm-hmm. If you're black, you can only be a sports star or you can only be a rap artist. Mm-hmm. You can only be this. You can only be that. There's always this constraint just because people look at your color mm-hmm. or people look at, in my case, people look at my facial features mm-hmm. and say, you can only do this. I don't know if you followed basketball. A few years ago, there was Linsanity because mm-hmm. he, I forget if he was a point guard in New York Knicks and he got traded and I don't remember where he is now. But he did really well on the courts. But he was such an anomaly. There are a few 
Asian basketball players now, mm-hmm. but it's such a anomaly to see those. Yeah, you know? it's not normalized. Yeah, yeah, and people think of it as somehow somebody else said in another podcast that almost like people are circus freaks because of this tokenism mm-hmm. and because of the hierarchy, because we are living in this system that completely surrounds us, that we are immersed in, mm-hmm. and that maybe we're not even aware of. We're consuming it on a daily basis in our entertainment, in our music, in our sports, in in Mm -hmm. everything that we're doing. And I also talk about lottery because a lot of states justify having basically this legally sanctioned gambling Mm -hmm. because some of the profits goes to benefit education. Whereas John Oliver had in one of his segments in last week tonight, I don't know if you watched that, he had basically dissected that claim and it's not really true or not enough money going into education. Mm -hmm. All this money is going into the state coffers, yet they're not benefiting education as it should be. to the point where kids feel like they have no choice but to go into the narrow field of sports because you have to be superb Mm -hmm. to get onto professional leagues. So all of these things go into the poem. Just like you also mentioned quite a number, I think there's some overlap between our poems in Mm -hmm. terms of these tokenism and seeing people as symbolic representations for their community. Right. Yeah. That's you brought up some really good points too because I think everyone's kind of submerged in their own race, mm-hmm. in our own struggles within mm-hmm. our race, that you don't ever like take the time to see everyone else's struggles. Because kind of like when you were talking, I was thinking, like, okay, so as far as mainstream actors, you just have what Jet Li and Jackie Chan. There's not a lot of mainstream successful actors of your race that get role after role after role after role. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. that can be in a comedy, that can be in an action, that can be right, right. So certain things you just don't have, or like you said, basketball. So that player, and then who else? Oh, was Jeremy somebody, Lin. Jeremy, Jeremy Lin. But there was another. Was he on? He was a center, right? You talking yeah. about the tall guy, Xiaoming? Yeah, he was yeah. From China. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then, but even with that, it's like when you have to, like, I have to stress to think about, oh, there are, you know, Asian basketball players. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are, mm-hmm. because like you said, it's so rare. And really, why should it be that rare? Mm-hmm. You know, because there's talent everywhere. Yeah, exactly. We narrow our field <clears throat> or the talent scouts mm-hmm. because of these ideas are associated with certain races. But we forget the fact that we can nurture sports skills. Right? Mm-hmm. If you keep focusing on people, if you select people for their strength and keep selecting people for their strength, and people tend to marry each other through proximity, mm-hmm. and so sports stars tend to marry each other, let's say, mm-hmm. then that just perpetuates. So people mistake nurture for nature, mm-hmm. and they continue this what's happening through nurturing this particular trait. Uh, whereas African-American people uh, have the absolute smarts to be astrophysicist, not just one, mm-hmm. especially one who just, again, is facing sexual uh, in, inappropriate behavior, which mm-hmm. pisses me off because because it's tokenism. It's very difficult for communities to see, oh, I have this hero, but now mm-hmm. he's being knocked off of the pedestal. But if we didn't have that tokenism, then we can be freer to say he's just not a good person. But like, it has nothing to do with him being black. 
Yeah, he exactly. just wasn't the person. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I feel like that's what happened with Cosby as well. He was protected partly because of this. He was the only one. Mm. He was a token. Whereas if we have many more representations for all of our minority groups, then maybe we are less inclined to protect those people. Yeah, absolutely. It's really frustrating all of these things, and I don't know if you watch those superhero movies. <laughs> And I don't know if you've seen that sort of hierarchy. I mean, even yeah. even in Black Panther, he was the hero, and she was still, even though she had her own agency mm-hmm. in the movie, she was not in much of it. And I wanted to see more of her. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what's going to happen in the new Avengers movie, since I'm so bad with names. I mean, his mm-hmm. character's name, Bozeman, right? Is mm-hmm. the actor. Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, Chadwick Boseman. So his character got basically knocked off. Sorry for the spoiler if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it yet. So I wonder if the woman who plays the his general mm-hmm. is going to take a bigger role, which will be interesting because we want to see more women in film. Mm-hmm. And we want to see a diversity of representation of women in film. Yeah. And not just say, oh, I wrote this movie for a male character. Just put a woman in it, something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Since we're closing the interview, I wanted to find out if you have upcoming appearances where you're doing poetry. I know you're there every Wednesday at Poetic Soul, but you're doing photography. When do you perform again? So I don't have any for sure shows to date Mm -hmm. that I I will be performing at. Mm -hmm. Just kind of as events come. Mm-hmm. You know, so Poetic Soul, like you said, is guaranteed every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I perform, sometimes I don't. Okay. But then really just whatever happens throughout the valley, like I, I try to support, go out okay. and perform at other things. Because like you said, I really am just focusing on the photography at Poetic Soul. Mm-hmm. But then the other events that happen, that's usually where I choose to perform. Okay, cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I haven't seen you perform. I don't think I've seen you once. I've been there a good yeah. handful of times. Ever since I started doing the photography, I really haven't been performing as much. I did like three or four weeks ago. Okay. And then, yeah, because he has the list, and right. so sometimes I don't get there early enough. So that, oh, that's what okay. that is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough if you get there, like, 10 minutes late, you yeah. know, the 20th on the list or something. Uh, besides that, what about social media? How can our audience follow you with your photography um, and everything? Yeah, so my social media is Unflawed Soul, so U-N-F-L-A-W-E-D-S-O-U-L. Um, that would be my Instagram, and then Facebook is just J Tatum, J-A-Y, last name T-A-T-U-M. I don't really use Twitter, so. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, that's good to know. Well, if you send me the link, I'll put them on the episode notes so people can just go click on them and gotcha. follow you. Do you have a photography page yet, or are you just using It's kind Instagram? of my personal Instagram. Just, yeah. oh, okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the show and mm-hmm. talking about going on this <laughs> verbal journey with me. I yeah. really appreciate that. No, it was really cool to be here. Um, you know, we discussed a lot of the different things, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to touch on so many different things. So. Good. Yeah, for that. Well, you have a great day. <laughs> Alrighty. Peace. The Japanese tennis player I referenced during our interview, her name is Naomi Osaka. And the Japanese Miss Universe I was referring to, her name is Ariana Miyamoto. And that concludes the Sunday, April 14th episode of Poets and Muses. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, as well as SoundCloud. 
under Poets and Muses. And again, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.